Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard. I am very sorry about the late start, guys. Uh, we had to work out some technical issues, but now we are on and we are ready to rock. And tonight we are talking to Levi Combs from Planet X Games. You guys know him and love him. Uh, he is the hottest thing to come out of Mena, Arkansas, ever since the CIA got Barry Seal. And uh, I love talking to him every time I come on the show. Uh, so before we get started, just want to remind everyone to like, share and subscribe uh, if you want to, uh, you know, support the show and make sure that, you know, people see what we're doing here. Uh, that's one of the best ways to do it. Just, you know, like, share and subscribe, leave a comment, tell me what you think of the episode. And remember that you can find me on all these various social media platforms. And I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg on Twitter and Instagram. Twitch is twitch.tv slash Rolling Bones Ryan. YouTube is Rolling Bones and Substack is rollingbones.substack.com. Uh, currently on the Substack, there's a nice little companion piece to our conversation tonight about uh, extra planner adventures and Planescape. Uh, so if you want to take a look at that, uh, you can find it over here on Substack. Let me make sure this is. All right, there we go. There you go. And also want to remind everyone that if you want to support the show uh, another way, you know, maybe you want some cool merch. I do have a T public store where you can buy some great stuff, including what Levi has called the most comfortable hoodie in the universe. Uh, so without further ado, that's my, uh, you know, nonsense out of the way. I want to bring on the guy who you guys are here to see, especially since uh, we are starting late tonight. Um, so let's go ahead and bring him on. Uh, you know, without further ado, he is uh, coming to us from Planet X. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Levi Combs. <laughs> that was the greatest intro ever. <laughs> you did a Barry Seal Mina, Arkansas drop. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Amazing. Totally unprepared for that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got a kick out of it. I figured that, that could yeah. go one way or the other. No, look, 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 Google that, kids, or or be careful googling that. Mm. <laughs> yep, you you might be uh might be terrified uh, what you find there. Uh, there's a. Uh, oh man, you brought it back. Yep, absolutely. All right. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, it's been an evening, guys. It's been an evening. Let me tell you. All right. <clears throat> anyway, um. We are on here to talk about something that's very near and dear to your heart, uh, and that is the the oh, Planescape yeah. setting. And I also wanted to kind of you know broaden things out, not spend so much time talking about the publication history, but talk a little bit about uh, it, just kind of like Extra Planner Adventures as a whole, and kind of you know how you approach those you know as a, as a game master. So to to kind of you know kick things off, how did you first get um, introduced to Planescape? Did, like, when did you encounter Planescape for the first time? Oh, I was, um, gosh, man, it was like early, mid-90s. I was in the Navy. <laughs> I think it had to be like 94, 95, something like that. And uh, I, I didn't keep up with D&D. &D like, I wasn't anticipating, like, the next release or, you know, um, there was no internet, so I wasn't like, you know, on, on online looking things up. It was just like stuff I would see at the comic book shop or like a Barnes and Noble or Walden books or something like that. And then one day I go into the bookstore 
and there is this gorgeous box set on the um you know on the on the shelf there um and i was like this doesn't look like anything i've ever seen before there's no dragons on the cover there's no <laughs> yeah no, you know there's there's nothing that would signify it like forgotten realms or greyhawk or even ravenloft or anything um it was just this awesome design on the cover Mm-hmm. with this ominous name planescape now you know obviously i was like oh this must have something to do with the outer planes and that was always like a kind of like a uh real soft spot for me with 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 D because anything is possible you know when you go adventuring in the in the outer planes or demi planes or pseudo whatever you know mm-hmm. um and, and you know we we had that podcast about arduin and arduin has a big thing with gates and portals and planes so this immediately just drew my attention in and I, I, I bought it like side contents unseen, had no idea what it was really about. I just know that it said Zeb cook on the front and I was like, all right, well, this has to be gold, you know, mm-hmm. and I get it home and I open it and it's, I'm just spend the entire afternoon just blown away, like page by page, that perfect fusion of like Tony Dieterlizzi art plus Zeb cook imagination. I mean, it just blew me away. Yeah, there there really is something about the the planescape trade dress and the the oh, way that like dear dear Tilizzi, sorry that is a hard name to pronounce uh, <laughs> the the way that he like kind of played around with the um, like the rust motif and all that stuff with the cover uh, I, I know that was kind of a thing in the the mid to late nineties just you know like photograph covers uh, kind of coming off of vampire. Yeah, werewolf. But, yeah, and werewolf. But th- th- there really is just something that kind of sucks you in about just this uh, this kind of pitted, rusty sign with this lady's head. And and yeah. you never crack a, a Planescape book. You don't know who the Lady of Pain is. But oh, there's right. just something yeah. about that symbol that just kind of, you know, like pulls you in. Yeah, I you know I don't think uh, Tony was the one who did the cover. I think that's another artist. But the interior, the interior yeah. of that I think that was almost you know aside from the um, the graphic design quality of it, I think all the illustrations were all were all Tony in that box set. If not, all, if they weren't all him, they were mostly him. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't I don't remember the name of the artist who who did the cover. Um, if if I'm correct here, but uh, yeah, I think I think it is somebody else. Um, but yeah, that, that, it, I don't know that whole trade dress, it, it, it like, it, it speaks of like age and antiquity, but at the same time, it's like completely different. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing about it that says your traditional fantasy. That is 100% off the books, weird fantasy. It's a very strange and, um, a very different universe that you're walking into. Yeah, Absolutely. And again, not to not to get too far into the weeds as far as the the publishing history of this thing goes, but Planescape comes to us in a very weird time in D and D history because at this point, D and D has kind of lost its market share. It's not the juggernaut that it used to be, and as a result, uh, TSR is really kind of throwing everything they can at the wall just putting out, you know, book after book, setting after setting. And they're also trying to jump on the trends that are being set by Vampire, which at this point is the the new hotness on the scene. And so out of this 
kind of desperation move plus this desire to to have kind of their own version of the Camarilla, you get this weird plane hopping setting called Planescape that's built around kind of this interplay of factions within this uh, like Ankh-Morpork, uh, Mos Eisley type city that's just situated between all of the planes. Yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot of... Um... You know, if you look in, in pop culture and in comics and uh, science fiction, especially uh, fantasy, too, you, you get a lot of places like this. Mm-hmm. Like I remember in Grimjack, the old uh, John Ostrander, um, Timothy Truman Grimjack comic book, um, there was Sinusure, which was like kind of, kind of like Sigil, but it was like the science fiction version of that. It's like kind of a place in the in the center of everywhere that connects to everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um that has, you know, different areas have different laws as far as magic works here, technology works here, and you know, kind of an interplay between that. Um, and then you got, you know, restaurant at the end of the universe. You've got, um, oh, what's that one? The, the Michael Moorcock one, not, not the Vanishing Tower, but um, there's another one in there where he's, there's a, there's a place in the middle of, at the center of everything. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that, you know, and I think, I think there's a lot of, um, you get a lot of different versions of that big and small, but like Sigil is like the granddaddy of them all. Like that's the one that's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's got the goods. It got the goods. <laughs> and then just the, the whole kind of concept of Sigil as a city is really terrifying, especially when you consider the, the implications of adventuring around Sigil, uh, for those of you who are completely unfamiliar with the setting at all, Sigil is known as the City of Doors. And basically, if you make a wrong turn, you could be walking down an alleyway and you could find yourself in the Nine Hells or any of the other planes. It's like there's portals all over the place. You cannot enter Sigil like through the same portal twice. It's kind of like Narnia in that way. You can't use the same entrance twice. So you really have no like idea how you're going to get in and out of this place. It just kind of happens when it happens. Yeah, they call it the cage too. That was mm-hmm. it's like the the other name for it. And the portals, like the, a portal, could be anything. It could be a doorway. It could be an alleyway. It could be the hoop of a barrel. It could you know, it could literally be any yep. any sort of thing that you could pass through or pass by. But in order to utilize a portal, you have to have a key. Or a port, you know, like like a a, a uh, and every key can be can be different. You know, no key is 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 the same, and, and anything can be a key. So you might have a key to a certain portal and not even know it. You know, you might have a you know a, a pork chop in your pocket, and you walk by the butchers and you uh, stick your head in the window to say something. All of a sudden, you know, you're in some weird demi plane where you know elves are evil and mind flayers are good. <laughs> you just, there's no telling, you know. Uh, that's what makes it so unpredictable. Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's all presided over, and and the piece is kept by this figure known as the Lady of Pain, who is like a goddess, but if you try to worship her, she'll kill you. And if you look at her, she'll kill you. And if she's having a bad day and she looks at you, she'll kill you. And and the way that she kills most people is by putting them in unsolvable mazes. Yep, the mazes. Yeah, she's really, to to me, like, um, she's at the center of everything. I mean, she's one of the reasons uh, Sigil is so cool to begin with. 
mm-hmm. because uh, you got this like this incredibly strategic place at the center of the, at the center of the universe. But you know, you get into mm-hmm. other things like um, the whole center of the multiverse and the rule of three, and all. The, we'll talk about that later. But um, um, when you when you think about it, like she's at the center of this of this thing, and she's this giant like fifteen foot tall kabuki mask like geisha looking uh figure who doesn't walk but just glides through the city and you know like her has like a weird crown of knives around her head you know like it's such a weird and cool and like very unique sort of um like visual like i can't think of anything before that in role-playing games or indeed especially that was anything like that you know there's right. nothing you know, she's a completely 100% um, genuine and original creation. That's a, you know, that's, that's not based on anything. That's just just something that's really really cool that uh, a couple people thought up. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And and for anyone looking for kind of like a a, a little bit more on the Lady of Pain, a good friend of mine, good friend of the show, Shane Hensley, wrote mm. a novel from the perspective of the Lady of Pain, set in the Planescape oh, nice. universe. So. Uh, that's that's out there if you guys want to read it. Let me let me find the name of that real quick. And like you can't fight the Lady of Pain. Like it's not like right. you know you're gonna pull out your plus five, you know, uh, longsword and you're gonna go toe to toe. No, she just waves her hand and all of a sudden you're in the mazes and you know one of one in a million gets out. You know, like <laughs> good luck. You know, it's just a you know it's it's a it, it makes sigil a place where you know demons have to get along with angels in the street and you know gods don't they don't they they're not putting their 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 toes in those waters you know mm-hmm. it's just a really cool dynamic that it creates yep absolutely okay maybe it was troy denning i thought i thought uh shane wrote it but i, I guess it's troy denning it's uh, called pages of pain so it's a good name there you go. <laughs> I just, it's it's a book from the Lady of Pain's perspective. So Troy Denning, Pages of Pain, if you want more uh, kind of information on the Lady of Pain uh, from her perspective. And uh, we have a question here from Rex Teal um, asking, since you're a plan of, fan of Planescape, how do you happen to like Elric of Melnibane? And if so, which of the two did you, uh, you know, get into first? Oh, Elric for sure. Like, um, I have these really, we've talked about it on the show before, but I have really deep Appendix N roots. Uh, my mom was one of those cool moms who had a uh, subscription to the uh, Science Fiction Book Club. Mm. And there in like the, I don't know, like the mid 80s, they uh, they went on this tear where they were like reprinting all these classic stories. So they, you know, they did like all the Piers Anthony Zant stuff and all the Rogers of Lazzy's Amber series. And one of the things they did was they put together Michael Moorcock's Elric books and these like, two big hardbacks you could get. And man, as soon as those landed at the doorstep, like I would just devour those in like a week, you know, <laughs> just, and I've read them tons of times since. So yeah, I really like Elric. Um, I think it's one of the pillars of weird fantasy, Moorcock in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot to, lot to love in those. And you can see some reflections of, Michael Moorcock stuff in a, a little in, in, in Planescape. Although I'm not sure that that was Zeb Cook's intention, but mm-hmm. um, it's definitely there. You know, you, you can see it, uh, you know, echoes of it and shadows of it just in general. Yep. Yeah. And I, I guess this is the place to drop my hot take. Uh, 
<laughs> I have tried to get into Elric. I've read a good portion of the stories. I really have trouble with with Elric of Melibene. <laughs> I uh, like honestly, I do. Um, and I think, I think part of it is that Moorcock was writing in the '60s. Moorcock was very much like a, a product of his time. And there's a lot of, uh, as my friend Crafty Matt likes to say, uh, uh, nihilism and psychedelia going on oh, in those yeah. stories. Yeah, big time. And I'm someone who is very straight laced as far as like <laughs> uh, psychedelics is concerned. So like sure. a lot of that stuff just kind of goes over my head and I can I can get into it in that 1930s sense that you see in, uh, you know, like Lovecraft and Howard and, and uh, Liber. But there, there's something about the way that Moorcock is writing it that I just have trouble latching on to. And I think it's my own personal hangups. Oh, man, I would uh, recommend if, if like if you want to try to get into it again. And I, and I would I would suggest that you do, because uh, there's a lot to be mined from that. Um, but try the audiobooks. There's a fantastic one, uh, a couple of them on Audible, and um, Neil Gaiman does them. So if you like Neil Gaiman's like very calm, sort of mm -hmm. resonating, sort of you know uh, voice, then yeah, I mean he's he does a, a fantastic job. Gotcha. Yeah, and then uh, I mentioned Crafty Matt, and he uh, wants me to say what's up, Levi, or what is up. <laughs> What's up, Matt? Oh. <laughs> it's one of my favorite follows on uh, on Twitter, or sorry, X now, <laughs> online in general. That dude, uh, Matt has uh, has backed every Kickstarter I think since I first started five years ago. Like he's one of those guys that like believed in me at the beginning and yeah. has like, you know, just supported just just about everything I've done. So like, you know, you can't. I mean, like. What do you say besides thank you, thank you, thank you? You yeah. know, like without folks like that, you, you, there, there is no Planet X. I have no, there, there is no uh, company. You know, it, I, it, I never get off the ground. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, when I see that guy, it's, it's like high fives and and beers for days. Absolutely. <laughs> come to a con, Matt. <laughs> yeah, crafty. Come on, come to North Texas. You'll love it. <laughs> And I believe this is a direct quote, but I distinctly remember Crafty saying Levi Combs has a direct pipeline to my wallet. <laughs> so. Ridiculous. <laughs> but when you when you have Planescape, like we've talked a little bit about the setting and, and some of the cool stuff to be found kind of within Planescape. Um However, I, I think now's a good time to kind of move into talking about running extraplanar adventures as a whole because a, a lot of people try to run Planescape like it's kind of a conventional setting, I feel like. I, I think there's a lot of people who've burnt themselves out on Planescape by just trying to run it as straight-up D&D. &D. Um, so to kind of begin the conversation how do you approach running these games where players are hopping in and out of different dimensions like what's kind of your mindset going into something like that well so okay so two things one um i just recently ran a planescape at north texas this last year 
Um, it was, I had just a couple hours to prepare and it was with like eight people that I, I didn't know most of them. It was my first right. time meeting them. Um, which is fine. You know, I love playing D and D. So, um, but I had no, I, I had really had no kind of idea what to expect. And, um, and I had to think like, I, <laughs> there's so much on, on the front end to to that that players need to know like i had to distill it into like all right well here's like seven or eight minutes of me just talking and telling this is what this is and this is the great wheel this is the outlands this is the spire this is sigil lady of pain yada 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 all right and then we can get into the adventure but i had to run i had to run the adventure like a typical DD game um of course you know i threw in as much strange and weird things that i could that were from the setting that could um you know that that were, it was like it was like a taste test. It's like when you are like a a platter. Like when you go to the Mexican restaurant and you you know I don't know what to get. Let me get a little, the platter it has a little bit of everything on it. You know, it's kind of like it was kind of like that. There's a little bit of this, a little you know, a little bit of portals, a little bit of Lady of Pain, a little bit of plane hopping. You know, some uh, some of the underworld of of Sigil, uh, and then it was over. You know, hmm. that was that. Now for like my, my home, if I have a home campaign. That's Planescape, which I did back in the day. Um, then it's very different, you know. I, I don't, I kind of don't run it like D and D at all, uh, honestly. Um, there's a whole lot more role playing. There's a whole. I'm sorry, and, and by saying that, I don't mean I don't role play in traditional D and D, but it's it's just we're we're going through the minutia a little bit more than you would in a normal D and D game. Yeah. It's a little bit more emphasis on like politics and factions and sex. Uh, and different things like that, rather than, you know, a lot of just constant, uh, here's a trap, here's combat, a dungeon, you know, one thing or the other, you know, it's it's more about, like, introducing fantastic locations and uh, situations that can be perilous if you zig when you should have zagged. Um, it was more kind of along those lines, with a lot, a lot more role-playing. Hmm. So, um yeah, I played it just a little bit uh, off the cuff and a little bit different than um, my typical D and D games. Gotcha. Yeah, for me, I I have hinted at plane travel being possible in my games. I've never actually pulled the trigger on it, and I in preparation for this conversation, I did some thinking about what I would do if I were to run a Planescape campaign. And for me, I think what I would have to do is bring players together and not tell them that we're running Planescape. Like, yeah, you'd have to, to me, you have to kind of build up this illusion of this is going to be a standard D&D campaign. You go into the dungeon and at the end of the dungeon, oh no, now you're in Sigil. And what what do you do with, the fact that you guys just accidentally walked into this portal. Well, it's kind of like a kind of a crocodile Dundee or like coming to America sort of situation mm-hmm. where you have the players are used to one thing. This is the way things have always been. They're stomping around, um, you know, their home campaign at maybe 10th or 11th level. And they're, they're the bosses, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> there's not, not a whole lot, at least in second, second edition, there's, there wasn't a whole lot that was going to give them a super massive challenge. I mean, you know, you have the upper tier, like liches and ancient dragons and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking like in this the daily, you know, 
you're <laughs> dealing with the kingdom or moving from one territory to the other. You know, there's not, there's nobody that's giving you really a hard time. Hmm. But that all kind of changes when you're a fish out of water and you end up in sigil or you end up in the outlands or you're on another plane and you can't get home right away. There's no, like your whole base, all your, your followers and your fortress and all of your excess tread, that's all gone for, I mean, for more or less for the intents and purposes of the game. You don't have that to fall back on. Mm-hmm. You know, your teleport spell doesn't take you home. You know, uh, maybe your magic works a little bit differently on the outer planes. So all of a sudden, like your norms are gone and your players now have to kind of have to, oh, things are kind of like we're back at like third and fourth level again. Like, like we got, you know, hey, we, we got a little skill under our belt, but like, you know, um, you know, uh, but things are th- things are dangerous again. We, th- there's so many unknowns. And I think that's one of the great things about uh, just, you know, playing uh, like dimensional adventures or adventures throughout the plains. Uh, sigil the the whole nine yards it's it's a it's a very specific vibe and i like that uncertainty of it Mm -hmm. yeah to me there's there needs to be a lot of effort made to really present the players with something alien really kind of make them feel the discomfort that you would feel if you opened your eyes and found yourself in a world completely different from your own i feel like a lot of game masters just out of a sense of expedience, present these other planes as it's like Earth, but everyone's got a beard or, you know, like <laughs> right. whatever, whatever kind of shortcut you have to like make this world, you know, pizza's circular or not like cer- pizza's a sphere, like in that Doctor Strange right. movie that was not very good. Um, <laughs> say pizza's I mean, you're not circular. wrong. <laughs> Say pizza's circular, like pizza's not circular everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so one of the things at that at that North Texas Con game that I did was I really focused on locations. So the game to, to make to very briefly summarize it was uh, they uh, a underground figure had hired these guys um, to take an object and it had to go in a specific pattern through the planes and then. It, then he wanted him to bring it back to me. He gave him a portal key. So this is how this is where you got to go first, and it will lead you. This object will lead you to the next to the next uh, to the next gate. All you have to do is take it and survive. You know, go from one place to the other, and then bring it back to me. That's all you have to do, mm-hmm. uh, with no questions asked. You know, and then I will give you the means to get home. You know, that was yeah. kind of the idea behind the the uh, the campaign or the sorry the, the game. Uh, so I focused on really strange and unusual locations rather than like monsters and encounters and attacks. There are a couple like minor challenges and but just a lot of really bizarre and strange things to kind of show off that uniqueness and weirdness that the outer planes have. Yep. Now we we've already talked a little bit about Elric as being influential on really anything that's interdimensional in nature. Um, I, I do want to make an argument here real, real quick, and I, uh, hopefully you have something to, to add to this as well. For me, I think if you want to really understand what an extra planner adventure looks like, you can read Elric, but at the same time, uh, you, you should probably take a little bit more inspiration from the Odyssey. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I don't, I, that's not a hot take at all. 
Because <laughs> the the thing that people and and I know like a lot of people read the Odyssey in high school. I don't know how many people still read the Odyssey in high school. I it seems like that's something that's kind of gone by the wayside. But there's this. I guess the best way to summarize the Odyssey is it's Odysseus dealing with one fucking thing after the other. And that's kind of how your your extra planner adventures need to go. Like as soon as your players think, okay, we're out of the woods, we're almost home. Oh, no, now we're in the realm of eternal snow and ice. Right. the, The circumstances are always changing. You know, the the. Pieces are always shifting on the Rubik's Cube until eventually uh, you do find that that one way out. And it's going to like take all of your wits to get out of this uh, nightmare hellscape of never ending planes. Well, I, I got to tell you, man, I was never a huge fan of like depositing players into like the nine hells or the abyss or things like that. Not that it didn't mm-hmm. happen. It for sure happened right. at times. But uh, that was never my go-to. Like I, I, I always thought of the planes as like this truly infinite place. You know, like there's literally a dimension of 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 everything. You know, um, so I wouldn't adhere uh, when I was running Planescape. I wouldn't adhere to like, oh, um, here's kind of the cosmology of the you know of the of the, of the Great Wheel. Um, it was more like, all right, well, you know, if there's planes, but there's all these demi-planes and like semi-planes and like temporary planes and alternate dimensions. And I took it kind of more in, in sort of like a creative, um, a creative bent. So I would just make up my own planes and throw them in the mix with like Avernus or like, hmm. you know, uh, the Beastlands or something like that, Gehenna or... Um, you know, the twin, the, the, was it the twin harmon the harmonium, uh, was it the twin, ah, uh, the, the, the two mountains, I, I, I forgot the name of it. Um, but I would just, you know, throw them in the mix with the planes that everybody kind of knew, you know, just from being D&D players, but then there'd be like a plane of like living darkness where it was just nothing but like shuttered doors and cobblestone streets and twisting alleys. But it was like that for hundreds of miles, you know, that was, that was a demi plane that you had to navigate and kind of figure out you had to deal with the shadowy figures who lurked within you know it was mm-hmm. just that that's not in the books that's just something i made up so <laughs> it yeah. was like you just never knew um that was the, kind of the the joy of it was for, for my part was that i got to create all this cool stuff and for the players they couldn't rely on what they knew in the books to to figure out what was happening you know so mm-hmm. good stuff and planescape gave, gives you a canvas for that you know yeah. what i mean Yep, absolutely. And uh, the wonky here, Keelan Halverson, um, brings up that something that Sigil adds is he calls it like a fourth pillar uh, being culture shock. And that's, you know, just kind of this continuous dealing with new cultures, even, you know, outside of Sigil, once you get into other planes, there really is this, you know, constant kind of refresh of, you know, getting to know a new type of people, a new set of factions, all, all that stuff that, that you get when you kind of enter these outer planes. Oh, yeah. So not just the outer planes, but like with Sigil itself, um, it's so alien to begin with. Like it's familiar, but also alien. And one of the things that Zeb Cook did that is so genius about uh, Sigil 
is that he had that uh, that weird cant, the the the, the language of, mm-hmm. of sigil, with where he had a whole you know dictionary of terms that you know that that uh, DMs could use to kind of breathe life in the characters. And when you start using those, you familiarize familiarize yourself with them. You start using those in play, like it really does add to the experience because all of a sudden it's like you're you know you're speaking Swahili to your players. They don't know half the things that you're saying, and they're kind of sort of catching on and kind of you know then they start using the terms you know and you're like ah all right here we go this is what i was you know this is what i'm talking about immersion you know so it's it's good stuff Hmm. now one thing that i really see a a good opportunity for in any kind of you know planescape type environment is you take the risk reward factor that's already present in role playing and you kind of like amp that up to 11 where all of the risks have become so much riskier because you're dealing with unknown quantities but at the same time surviving all of that stuff uh should net you kind of some really crazy rewards as far as just you know wondrous items or magic weapons or stuff like that that you find in these other dimensions um, if you're focusing on um, outer planar play, like just as general, like not so much in sigil or dealing with um, like that core planescape play, then mm-hmm. sure. Like I think um, you can get into a lot of that with just like Jeff Grubb's manual of the planes. You know, so much yeah. of that goes into it's so much of that is high level adventuring anyways. You know, they're describing what spells do in these, these very lethal environments um, and the connectivity of it all, who, what God lives where. So yeah, it kind of lends itself to higher level play, but like with sigil, you, you can play first level characters in sigil. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not saying that your characters came from like Greyhawk and then they ended up in sigil, but you know, you think maybe they started out in sigil or one of the, you know, a neighboring plane or something. And they've, they're finding themselves there for the first time. I think it's just as easy if different to make or to, to craft a, a meaningful campaign in sigil at low levels as it is with, with anything else. It's, is it different? Yes. Is it maybe a little, uh, uh, it's not everybody's uh, immediate go-to. Yes. But I, I think the same like, design principles for adventures, um, you know, in, in kind of normal pedestrian play, they, they hold the same sort of like structure in um, uh, play and planescape. Yeah, and that's one of the one of the more interesting features of Sigil is this mandatory neutrality that's enforced upon the city. Yeah. Uh, to, to the point where like gods are not technically allowed to even enter Sigil, but some still do. And so there's right. this this sense of backstabbing and conniving and you know people using cat's paws and and there's all kinds of political games being played to uh jockey for power within sigil and so getting wrapped up in that kind of stuff uh even very early on in a campaign like you were mentioning with a a, you know first level campaign that's you you bring in a different element of play there and it almost turns into something like dune in a lot of ways yeah, that's a really great comparison um, because of the factions. The, the factions are they're such an important part of what makes Planescape and adventuring in sigils. I mean, that's really, 
you know, outside of like the Lady of Pain and just kind of the ambiance to say, that's really the biggest part of it is, is is interacting with those factions and how those factions interact with each other. It makes for like for people who love role playing um, and like the sort of like political maneuvering and and seeing like things happen in, in real time, like you know, setting up plans upon plans and schemes, you know, things like that. It's like the perfect role playing experience because those those factions and then you can and even outside of like sigil when you get out into the out into the outer planes they have the sex which are mm-hmm. a lot liked um a lot like the factions but they're you know at, they're not in sigil you know so you use like so if you have the dustmen in sigil you know the whole the whole faction there well you can go to you know jehenna or avernus or whatever plane it was and you'll find the dustman set there as well so like it's like you know these little out branches and and uh, like splinter cults, almost like of, of these of these factions. It's pretty cool, you know. So there's like there is a connectivity to the outer planes at large. Hmm. Yeah, and with a lot of these, again, like with, with faction play, you can also kind of incorporate that into plane hopping. Um, with this idea that certain factions will be trying to stab each other in the back. So, you know, say someone from the nine hells, one one of the demons wants you to go to Mount Olympus and steal one of Zeus's thunderbolts. And then you have your, (laughs) your adventure there. But then at that point, you know, Zeus is mad at you. And so you have to deal with the, the ramifications of having, Zeus pissed off at you and maybe you have to do a favor for him uh, to, to balance the scales there. There's infinite possibilities as far as working with all of these different planes kind of at your disposal and, you know, what kind of hoops you set up for players to jump through, to accomplish some of this stuff. Um, There's all kinds of kind of tasty choices for oh, you yeah. in, in a setting like Planescape. I mean, yeah, the, it's, it's it's a lot like how when we talked about Arduin, a lot how uh, Arduin was, where it's just full of plot hooks. The whole the whole setting is just full of one interesting thing after the other, after the other, after the other, that a DM can look at and go, oh, I'm going to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm going to make my own little weird stew. It's the same thing with Planescape. Is that when, after you, you're done reading that box set, or you read one of those little side um, um, splat books, you know about you know the Chaos War, or maybe you know a, the Guide of the Planes, or whatever. You're so filled with like weird ideas and strange little little bits that you can't help but riff off of them. And, I mean, they're like ultimate idea generators. Fantastic. Yeah. Now we. We've talked a lot about the cool things that can be found in Planescape and and adventuring. I, I want to kind of take things in a different direction here. Why do you think that Planescape didn't really catch on the first time around? Well, um, you know, without thinking about it too deeply, uh, I would imagine, uh, A, it's a new thing. You know, it's a whole different take on 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 D and D, and it did kind of catch on from it. There, there, it has a very loyal following, mm. um, but it didn't catch on like the Forgotten Realms. I mean, you know, the Forgotten Realms was the flagship, uh, the flagship campaign for man for like three editions, 
Like it was, fan, you know, it just had a fantastic, expansive, you know, it's, I mean, it's still one of my favorites. Um, but Planescape didn't have that, you know. It, it comes at, a, like you were mentioned earlier, it comes at a weird time in, in uh, TSR slash uh history where uh, they're on the latter half of, you know, they're, they're kind of starting to trend down instead of being, being in the heyday. And before we get the third edition, you know, they're on the, they're kind of on the downward slope of things. When they were, throw, you said they were throwing all kinds of ideas like Birthright and what was it, uh, Red Steel and, you know, all these crazy kind of campaigns that some took off a little bit, some were just dead in the water, you know, like I didn't know anybody who played um, uh, Alcadim, you know, it was awesome to read right. and I liked it, but I didn't know anybody playing it, you know, it's kind of the same with Birthright, you know, like you, you got the box set, you played a couple games you're like all right you know let's move on to this you know um you know in my game group as long as we weren't playing something like moral project i was happy you know so like it was you know it's just it's just the way it was um but yeah it's just kind of a lot of things you know again it's it's strange it's new uh not your typical role-playing experience downward slope of tsr at the time, vampire, werewolf, and all that uh, white wolf stuff is king. I mean, it's just ruling the ruling the game stores, just packed on the shelves. Um, so maybe a little bit of bad timing, but it it really does have everything you need, especially that first box set. It has everything you need. It has great writing, fantastic art, incredible design ultimate playability and then all the guys who came in afterwards like uh was it bruce cordell and monty cook and all, all those guys man they killed it they did they were s- such an awesome job like they really helped like they picked that they took those in, initial setting that zeb created and they just shot it into the stratosphere like so much of the stuff that they wrote and created as supplementary material is just like it's awesome. I mean, they they're doing Plane Breaker now, you know, over at Monty Cook <laughs> Games, which is essentially very very similar, you know, to to Planescape, but it's you know it's it's their their creation. Like you know, there's a Lady of Pain in, in Planescape, but they have like the Red Manus or, or, or whatever the the a very similar figure that kind of keeps the peace. Yeah. Um, in Plane Breaker, but um, I think Plane Breaker is where Planescape would have gone had. Yeah, they they kept control of it, and they they, yeah. they had been the ones guiding the the ship. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read it or not, but Plane Breaker is fantastic. So <laughs> I I haven't read it. I've heard good things. Um, Great, it's awesome. I, I do know that I, I, I'm fairly certain Watsy is getting ready to take their own swing at at Planescape, which um, yeah. I I don't think anyone's gonna gonna buy that at this point. Uh, just based on what what Watsi has already done with Ravenloft and Dragonlance and pretty much any legacy setting that they go back to at this point, it, it seems like just the returns are diminishing for them. But, you know, there, there's something to be said about this, uh, this idea of the spiritual successor that you see in something like Plane Breaker. And it, it's really cool to, to see people kind of pick up that ball and run in directions that you know Wizards of the Coast is probably never going to go in just because at the end of the day, they answer to a board who answers to another board who answers to another board. No, 100%. If, if I had my, you know, druthers, it would be um, Watsi creating new settings, 
I'd like mm -hmm. to see rather instead of exploring the old ones, which we've kind of seen a bunch of times, I'd rather see new settings or um, instead of creating a new setting, hey, maybe make some throwback modules. You know, like uh, DCC makes those those cool uh, uh, original adventure. You know, com yep. com you know th those those are great. Mm -hmm. um, in second edition, they had uh, all those really cool like return like return to the Tomb of Horrors, return to White Plume Mountain. Uh, they had a bunch of that stuff. I think I think um, fifth edition has done some of that too. I want to say it was Elisa Teague did Return to the Tower of Inverness, which was very, very good. It was a really good um, adventure. Uh, great tournament event. Like, not tournament adventure, but great con adventure. Um, there's, a, there's a ton of uh, of that kind of stuff out there, but I would just rather, rather see, like, instead of exploring old properties, maybe create some new ones, you know? Because when was the last time we really got, like, uh, a really interesting new property. I mean, I guess uh, with, uh, with the critical role stuff, you know, which, which I don't follow, but like I'm, you know, very happy it exists. Um, before that, what do we have? We had like Eberron. Eberron was the one that uh, that was really good. Yeah, that that was able to stick around and was interesting. Uh, Keith Baker, I think, was the creator of that. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that was a that was like, like Planescape was a breath of fresh air. You know, when it when it showed up, it was like oh. Here's something new and interesting that we kind of haven't seen before. Let's let's play this. You know, like it, it was it was fun. Mm -hmm. I'd see more of that. Yeah. And uh, Rex, to answer your question here, I'm pretty sure Plane Breaker runs on Cipher System. I think so. Yeah, because I I think that's the system that that undergirds most of uh, Monty Cook's products now. So yeah. If that's one of his, then it, it probably is a cipher system or Numenera type game there. So, yeah, I can't re uh, recommend Plane Breaker in, in any higher. Like, um, the books are beautiful. They are very well made. They're very well written. And like Planescape, reading them is just an idea generator. Like, even if you don't plan on running Plane Breaker. It's still good to read because, like, you're like, oh, let me make a note on that. Let me. By the time you're done reading the book, you got five pages of notes. You know where you've. Oh, that was a cool idea. Let me kind of extrapolate and turn that into something else. Like, so even if you don't play Cipher System, you don't have no interest in running a Plane Breaker campaign. The book is still cool to read if you like reading game books. You know. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then another way uh, for people who are interested in, in Planescape but can't necessarily get a, uh, a group together to experience this system, and this is uh, something that a lot of people in my generation know about, uh, Planescape Torment. Yep. Is a, a, a very, <laughs> I knew where you were going. <laughs> very well-regarded uh, PC game uh, back in, in 1999. It has been uh, continuously... Uh, remastered and and kept running on modern systems. You can get mm -hmm. it on Steam. You can get it on uh, good old games, which is probably the best place to get a game like that. Uh, but it's very much playable and and very much available for people who want to experience Planescape uh, through a, a a very good and very well regarded CRPG. That's that's out there for anyone who wants to take a look at it. Oh, I hundred percent concur, man. Planescape Torment when it came out, like, <laughs> like our group, like everybody just kind of stopped meeting for a month because <laughs> we were all playing Planescape Torment at home. Like it was, it was awesome. It mm -hmm. was, uh, yeah. I, I still to this day re regard it 
it's up there with some of my favorite like um, computer game experiences. You know, yeah. like just I, just as much as I got into like playing Diablo two when it first came out, and I was just like, I've got to play every character and play through every you know every bit get all the cool stuff like um i felt the same way about planescape torment where i've I've got to play the story through this is amazing you know yeah it's good stuff and planescape this is uh i i really do regret not um ever like taking a swing at this myself as a dm and i like it's not it's not too late or anything like no, that. I, can, <laughs> I can try it. It's, it's not like I'm at the end of my life and I'll never game again. But, uh, uh, you know, th- this is something that I really, uh, I, I kind of wish I could really play it like in, in the time that it was first released. Kind of, you know, one of those, uh, you know, nostalgia for an era I was not around for kind of things. Because I know. No, really- there's so much there's so many cool things about planescape like we could i mean we could talk i'm telling you i could talk about this for like the next five hours like it's it's there's so much cool stuff in there um we like we haven't even touched the like, like the monsters or like mm-hmm. um like the evolution from like the what is it the um the manual the jeff Grubbs manual of planes going mm-hmm. over to uh to, to what eventually became planescape and then <clears throat> like where did all those ideas come from like i i actually <clears throat> cornered zeb cook at Gamehole Con last year, and uh, I was with a friend, and my, and my friend knew him quite well, and they were talking, and I was like, hey, listen, why I got you here? I just, I got to know some things, you know? Like, I, I got to know, like, wh- where did these ideas come from? And, like, did, is does it have any connection to this? And he was very frank and very super nice guy and was uh, very frank and open and honest. And, uh, yeah, he just – it's like – I don't want to call it his magnum opus because, you know, like he wrote some of his cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, guy made Isle of Dread. Um, but for my money, like it's the it's my favorite thing that he ever he ever created. I mean, it's it's on another level from everything else that was coming out from TSR at that time. Other than the core game, like Planescape for me was the best. That was the best of the best of those. those even like over Ravenloft, which... I love, I love Ravenloft. Have you ever seen a bad piece of art for Ravenloft? No. You know, like, yes, <laughs> but. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I haven't, you know, like, um, but you know, Planescape was kind of the same way. It was just this gorgeous, beautiful fusion between art and writing and all the writers who were working on it were just awesome. All the artists who were working on it. Awesome. You know, like it, it, it didn't, it didn't let me down at all. You know, but but mm. even by the time it kind of got to like its its later uh, iterations, I was still pretty pretty enthused with it, pretty enthralled with it. I, I liked the monsters, I liked the challenges, and most of all, I liked the crazy weird locations and all the they they just took this co- cosmology that uh, Gygax and Grub kind of created, and they just extrapolated off of it in such a massive, awesome way. Yeah. So we just ended up with this really cool thing. And, um, you know, it's still, to me, it's it's one of the best box sets that have ever been made. Yeah. Those monster uh, compendiums, those, you know, I think there were three of them. Um, I might be wrong, but I think there were three of them. Uh, they're all just amazing, you know, like mm-hmm. e- even with the Tanari bait zoo instead of demon yeah. devils, even with that sort of like k- kind of weird choice of, of uh, 
of naming conventions. Uh, still just super awesome books. Hmm. Yeah. And even to this day, when I show people uh, like open the five E monster manual and you accidentally flip over to M people freak out when they see the Modrons for the first time, it's, it's one of those weird things. They're not like they're, they're far from the most terrifying thing you can encounter in Planescape, but they're so alien and bizarre and unique that people are just kind of hypnotized by them almost. Hey man, that is 1000% Tony Dieter Lisi because hmm. I remember seeing Modrons for the first time. Was it Monster Manual 2, maybe? I, th I think so. Monster Manual 2. Uh, they, I think they were in, like, issues of Dragon Magazine and some other stuff prior to that. But, like, when the masses got a hold of it, I think it was Monster Manual 2. Um, I think it's Jim Holloway artwork. They were, like, the nerds of the D&D &D monster book. Like, mm -hmm. nobody wanted to use Modrons. They were so dorky. Like, it was like, you know, who wanted to use Modrons? This is, I mean... Yeah, they were weird and whatnot. But when Tony Dieterlisi got a hold of Modrons in the art for Planescape, suddenly uh, he had them looking like kind of like walking sticks, you know, the little the insects, you know, you yep. had the weird segmented arms and the big glaring eyes and like something he did with that artistic choice made Modrons cool. At least at least for me, at least made them to where I was like, oh. I would actually use Modrons if I could show my players this picture. <laughs> you know, like he transformed them from like the dorks of the monster manual to like, oh, maybe these guys aren't so bad. He gave them the ultimate DD makeover. Hmm. Yeah, and you you see quite a bit of that. Um I guess like you know, throughout 2E, I the Thrycreen. The Thrycreen mm -hmm. show up in the monster manual. Technically, they are a part of forgotten realms they don't work in forgotten realms though it's not until you, mm. you stick them in dark sun and really kind of make them a part of that setting that you really get something interesting out of the thrycreen and i guess it's the same for the modrons you know i think to someone looking through that book for the first time you come across shape monsters and just think okay someone had to fill space here but <laughs> once you <laughs> Once you recontextualize that and once you kind of put them in a weirder, stranger environment and give them that kind of weird makeover, then, uh, you know, that's when you really have something. There are a lot of interesting monsters in Planescape. Uh, one of my favorite was the uh, the Daboos or Dabus. I think they're called mm -hmm. Daboos. The little uh, blue guys that just they're wearing robes, they got little white horns and they don't speak. But when they communicate... They communicate in Rebus, the, you know, the, um, oh, it's like uh, symbols uh, that sound like words. So, like you'll see like, you know, a piece of bread and it'll be like a plus sign and it'll be like another thing. And it spells out like if you, if you vocalize it, it spells out a word. So mm -hmm. they don't speak, but they have these crazy Rebuses that appear above their heads. So the players have to like, what is he saying? Like <laughs> looking at, at this, you know, it, it's so, it's so bizarre. That's such a bizarre choice that it's it comes around the corner from being so weird and crazy to pretty cool. And yeah. they're like the servants of, of the Lady of Pain. So they're doing like the Dark City thing where, you know, they're the ones who like when the Lady of Pain decides that she wants to change this part of Sigil and 
all of a sudden this is you know they're the ones coming in and building everything and are tearing something down or move they're moving portals around so they're not in the same place and there's there's a whole army of them but you don't know how many they are you only see a couple of them at a time you never see them grouped together like there's such a, like a weird little neutral uh, mysterious creature and they're you know they're kind of the opposite of lady of pain where they're not like mean or or um, lethal in the least however if you start messing with the dabu the dabus you're going to end up on the bad side of the lady of pain pretty pretty quick so yeah um they're just another one of those weird little monsters that all of a sudden is super interesting um the the whole concept of them like when have you ever heard of anything like that it's so out of the box and so strange that um, it just fit. It, it just things like that serve to up the ante of uncomfortability and strangeness in Planescape and really make it a, a, a very interesting role playing experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there's something to be said about you know. Yeah, you can include the the biggest, scariest, uh, you know, super high hit die monster uh, that can absolutely wreck you if you, uh, you know, lose an initiative or something like that. But there's something to be said about kind of these smaller monsters that you build up uh, to, to flesh out the world and to really kind of, you know, give purpose to because they add that extra layer of flavor, that extra mm-hmm. kind of substance that, that, really fleshes out your world, especially if there's some kind of mystery around them or, or some kind yeah. of, uh, you know, weirdness to them to the point where uh, if the players start like trying to unravel those threads or start, you know, trying to, to get to the bottom of it, you know, they're going to kick up more of a, a fuss than they ever really meant to just by, kind of pulling on the threads of what these things are. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, they're the little, the Dabus, especially those are endless plot hooks. You know, you see Dabus on the corner and they're tearing something down. Well, what are they tearing down? <laughs> they see them building something. Oh, what are they building? You know, maybe they come to the players and they say, and they, they express, you know, some, some urgent mission. And, you know, you have to decipher the, the rebus to figure out what, you know, you know, what it is. Um, and what happens if you say no, like, that's kind of like, you're in a tough, in, in a tough position. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find them in like the weirdest spots of sigil, you know, you're tre- trekking through a sewer and there's monsters everywhere, but all of a sudden there's like, you know, two daboos that are like, you know, they're, they're patching a wall back together that <laughs> for, for whatever reason, and you're like, why are these guys down here? You know, like there's so many like ways that you can work those guys, but just all, all the little idiosyncrasies of of Planescape in general into plot hooks that you can snag players with. You know, it's 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 a very interesting setting. I, I mean, I love it for that. I like to imagine that there's uh, some like wizard or someone like that that just has like a Dabu in a box, like a, a clear like plexiglass box. <laughs> and they've just gone completely insane observing this thing, just trying to figure it out. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a crazy little little monster. But you know that that especially the that first monstrous compendium that they put out was full of stuff like that. It was mm-hmm. full of just weird, strange, and, and crazy creatures. Um, they really breathed life in that setting. They they did such a great job of 
for having a little lower level things and some of them which weren't even threats like the dabus they're not really threats they're just kind of mm-hmm. things you interact with that kind of up the ante on weird too you've got you know things like uh what is the the astral leviathan or whatever it is that <laughs> massive creature uh, on the cover of the manual platform the name of it you know you can go all the way to, to, to that end of things you know like it's i don't know it's just the imaginative nature of that setting and the and here's what it really is, is the, hey, all bets are off. The gloves are coming off. We can do whatever that we want to do. You know, like there's really no boundaries here. You know, we can we can really go off in whatever tangent or direction we want. That's one of the strengths, I think, of Planescape. Yeah. Yeah. And then to, to kind of round out the conversation here, I- all all things must come to an end, including your uh, your journey through the planes. And so, w- one thing that's really interesting about re-entering your reality after uh, you know going through this like extra planner adventure, I, I described it in uh, the article that I wrote about Planescape and extra extra planner adventuring on Monday as. Uh, you know, stepping through the portal with a full beard and a, a sharp fade haircut uh, being like covered with alien weapons. It's this uh, a crafty Matt made reference to, to Bill and Ted's bogus journey. It's after they go into the telephone booth when they come back out and they've got full beards and guitars and they're ready to do their rock concert. Right, it, right. And and again, to, to circle back to the Odyssey, it's Odysseus returning to his home and slaughtering all the suitors and retaking his household. There's this sense that when you come back to your native plane, especially if you had a domain and, you know, a stronghold and followers, you're, you're going to have that, um, you know, sacking of the Shire moment where you've got to kick someone out of your castle. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's really weird that you bring this up because, uh, with my old home group, you know, back in Mena, Arkansas, um, Barry Seal was not a part of the, of the group, <laughs> um, but uh, you know we, we we played through second edition. And we probably got up to like twelfth, thirteenth level ish. You know they were fairly powerful, and they were kind of like pulling the strings in the world at that point. You know, for, for more or less, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for their little corner of the of, of the campaign. In uh, one of the last adventures that we did as a big group, that you know was many sessions was. Um, there was a Forgotten Realms adventure where uh, the Demon Lord Grazit, Graz, Grazed, Grazit, the six-fingered uh, um, Demon Lord, mm. he had kidnapped. Um, oh, one of the god, one of the Forgotten Realms goddesses was kind of like holding her prisoner. Um, I think it was like the god Joaquin, the god of uh, god of gold, gold and mm. like fortune and riches. Anyways, he was uh, it was all part of this, you know, Forgotten Realms story. But I took that adventure and I kind of deconstructed it and made it fit my own campaign. But in that campaign, there's all this, uh, you know, you're traveling through color pools and portals and you're going from one place to the other and you're navigating areas of the abyss and you're meeting up with all these like kind of high level personages and some you fight, some you bargain with, some you kind of have to sneak past, you know, it's a very cool campaign. Uh, great module. Um, but uh, that made for when they finish that, you know, and they've, they've gained, they've returned Joaquin to her, to her, you know, to her, uh, her home world or her, her home plane. And uh, they're kind of resting on their laurels after this adventure. Like, 
it was kind of like a what else is there to do sort of moment, you know, like we yeah. all gained a level. Now we're kind of like helping avatars out, like we're fighting demon lords. Like it's all it kind of reached a point to where it was like, all right, well, maybe we should just start with new characters because like where do we go from here? You know? Um, so I, I get it, like what <laughs> everything seems like you know kind of loses a bit of shine whenever you're traipsing through the the plains and you know doing doing battle with the with, you know fighting fighting off the, the big boys you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah and and uh crafty matt just sent me a uh, a picture of the astral dreadnought uh so yeah, for those of it. you who uh those of you who have not seen this uh, let me go ahead and present my screen here. Um, that's terrifying. <laughs> it's it's like a beholder with Mojo from X Men's body. Like, <laughs> I think on the cover that I think that's Morden Kanan actually, who's fleeing from that thing. If that gives you any level, like any idea of the level of power of that thing. Hmm. Yeah, it like, man, that's yeah, it's one of it, Jeff Easley's best. Like, that's in, if you had a top five Mount Rushmore, or whatever, of Jeff Easley paintings, that's on it. Yeah, my god, that thing is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what are you gonna do? It's like yeah. the evil space whales from ah- Ahsoka, mm. <laughs> just a giant, you know, uh, spatial monstrous creatures, you know. Yep, you can't really defeat them you just kind of have to kind of have to interact with them it's like a zombie horde of you know ten thousand zombies you're not really going to fight them but you can kind of interact with them you can divert them you can slip past them maybe you know Mm -hmm. yeah and as uh as crafty points out here in his comment uh the cacodemon from doom is very much inspired by uh that that piece um and and like they do doom and quake especially came out of the uh the role-playing games that were being played by the guys at id software uh so oh, yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of crossover there and you know with with art like this i know the main artist on uh on doom was a guy named adrian carmack who was very obsessed with like how twisted and bizarre can I make all these monsters? And so you've got all of this inspiration from something like Planescape. Yeah, like that that's a good place to to grab your inspiration from. I was more of a uh, a Hexen guy. You know, remember mm-hmm. you remember Hexen? That was yes. kind of like the fantasy version of uh of Doom or Quake. Yeah, we had that was that was the one we had on our, our computers at work. <laughs> <laughs> Your government dollars at work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just assume like everyone's got video games on their work computer. The only reason I don't have any on mine is mine's not it's barely able to run like Minesweeper. Oh yeah, this is this is back in the day of like this is like 1993. Like no nobody was <laughs> nobody was coming to check our computers. It, and they actually did have Minesweeper on them. Um, <laughs> No, uh, that that piece uh, comes from the manual, of the planes, and I again, I want to say, man, I don't remember the exact date manual of planes came out. Um, I wish I could pinpoint that, but that was a first edition book, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Yeah. Cool. Well, as we are kind of, you know, running up on our time here, do you have any closing thoughts on Planescape or just extra planner adventuring as a whole? For Planescape, I mean, I don't know what um, what Hasbro is going to do with uh, the fifth edition version. I, I have no idea. Um, but classic Planescape. I mean, f- that first box set, um, you don't have to go out and find one on an RPG auction site or eBay or pay $350 for it at a game store. You can just go on and, you know, you can just get, you can get a PDF or you can, um, you know, get a print on demand copy for far, far less. Uh, but it is a hundred percent worth it. A lot of what you see in modern, uh, RPGs today, I mean, got really kicked off with Planscape. Um, that immersive role-playing experience where a place feels lived in um, really has a place in Planescape. Um, I'm just like, my mind is circling through like all these different like current RPG products that are just, that have gotten a big boost from, from, you know, you could tell the people who created those, they must've read Planescape um, and loved it, you know? Um, a lot of the stuff that I write, you know, has has uh, it, it, you know, had dips its toes in, in the, the Planescape pool. So, um, it's if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's really good, um, and all the supplemental material. Not all, not every adventure is going to be like a winner, but um, most of it, it falls on the on the side that you're not sorry you bought it. You know, yeah, uh, that was really one of the strengths of those products back in the day. Like I could buy them sight unseen, and not feel not have buyer's remorse after, you know, like, it's not like I'm, you know, sometimes you buy a box set and open it up and you're like, Oh, you know, like, (laughs) but some of these books, some of these box sets, they're just fantastic. The art is great. The maps are like next level. Um, And some of the writing, like I said, Zeb cook, Bruce Cordell, Monty cook. I mean, it just a who's who of awesome creators. So um, they are worth seeking out. They are worth, uh, worth pursuing. So, mm-hmm. run a Planescape campaign. Try something different. It, it, it's awesome. And if you do want an original collection of physical box sets, then congratulations on being a multimillionaire. Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw a, a post on Twitter today, and it was a guy. He was like had his hand on top of the stack of all the box sets and books. And I was like, hey, man, you know, you could buy a, a, a car for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man. That's Crafty Matt with an interesting factoid here. Palladium tried to ride a, a 3PP for Planescape, and that's what turned into Rifts. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought Rifts, uh, almost, I kind of almost thought Rifts preceded Planescape, but I'm, I'm probably wrong. I don't know. So, uh, crazy. Oh, anyway, guys, that is going to do it for Rolling Bones this evening. Uh, Levi, thank you so much for uh, for braving the storm, the technical difficulties. Yeah, sorry, and, dude. Uh, don't worry about it. Like, I live in the sticks. <laughs> I, I'm glad that we were actually able to have this conversation. I was deathly afraid that we were going to have to call it for this evening, and so I'm, I'm glad that we were actually able to talk and and get this out here for people to to hear yeah man no no it's it's always a good good to talk to you and you know listen you were one of the first people like four or five years ago to ever have me on a podcast 
So I really, to this day, you know, still, like I said, I still, just like I was talking about Crafty Matt earlier, <laughs> I, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for, for sticking by me and, um, you know, always giving me a platform to talk about my weird stuff. <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, do you have any campaigns going on right now that, that people need to know about? No, I don't have any going on right now. I do have one coming up. It's a Halloween zine. Um, it's an RPG horror but it's like classic horror uh, mixed with a little bit of like you can it has weird bits for uh, uh, fantasy horror, modern day horror. You can use it for a lot of things. If like like if you um, if you remember my um, phylactery zines, it's kind of a potpourri of things. Hmm. Like it's a, like a grab bag of, of cool things you can use. I did that for classic horror, uh, and that's the RPG. It's called um, Reverend Werewolf's Old Timey Monster Mania Family Hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's uh it's one of my favorite things i've written in the last couple of years um it's pretty it's it's pretty in, in my opinion it's pretty like listen a hundred people will probably like it but those hundred people that do like that that are into that and do like it it's gonna be a hit so hmm. we'll see you know coming out on the 10th october 10th hmm. all right well uh guys next week on rolling bones um you have recently heard him on Natural Ones with uh, Basic Expert and Victor Gorchev. Uh, he's been on the show before. He has a brand new Kickstarter that is launching later this month for Axe 2. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Alexander McCreese will be right back here on Rolling Bones next week. And our topic will be, is domain play a necessary endpoint for a role-playing game? And so that's what we'll be talking about next week as well as some acts Two stuff. It'll be a great conversation. Uh, you guys know how, how Alex and I end up talking to each other, a lot of philosophy and stuff like that. So until then, whether you rolled a one or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.